I was traveling by air when a sudden burst of turbulence whacked the plane, causing it to drop several hundred of feet. Not normally a fearful flyer, I had a moment to think the jig was up. I, I froze in terror. But bizarrely, I was just then reading the ending passage of a memoir by Frederick Beekner, in which he recounted a, a very similar episode. He wrote, I was flying somewhere one day when all of a sudden the plane ran into such a patch of turbulence that it started to heave and buck like a wild horse. I was terrified that my hour had come and then suddenly I wasn't. Something passed through my mind, the line from Deuteronomy, underneath are the everlasting arms. And for a few minutes, I not only understood what it meant, but felt without a shadow of a doubt, it was true. That underneath, undergirding, transcending any disaster that could possibly happen, those arms would be there to save us if my worst fears were realized. I couldn't believe the serendipity of reading that passage at precisely the moment I was experiencing something very similar. For a split second, all my senses were on high alert and those words underneath are the everlasting arms were seared into my consciousness. I was never in any actual danger, I suppose, but I had a momentary panic attack. The lesson was there to be learned and remembered. I've never forgotten it, and I've never forgotten that phrase. But when I stop to consider this lesson, it seems rather incredible. I mean, how is it that I know there is such a thing as everlasting arms after all? I would tell you that I know this for certain, but it's not as if I strained a mental muscle to work up a kind of belief in a particular phrase that would make me feel better. No, it's as Beekner said it. The phrase came to mind in a moment of panic and he knew it deeply, intimately to be true. That's how it is with me as well. I know it in my cellular membrane. Still, from much of our cultural perspective, that could sound like so much hoo-ha and whatnot, I suppose. Come on, Steve, there's no such thing as everlasting arms. Give me a break. That's just a romantic fiction and a pretty silly one at that, right? We humans don't have need to believe in a transcendent power. Better to let the fairy tales go Buck up and move along. That's the, that's the grown-up thing to do. I thought about this during our Good Friday service two days ago. I paid particular attention this year as the story of Jesus' demise was retold. You remember the details, the betrayal of Judas, the cowardice of the disciples, Peter's denial, Pilate's ironic conversation about truth, politicians of state and religion conspiring against an innocent man. At the end of it, Jesus was dead. 
dead as a doornail, as a kid might say, or cold as any stone, as Shakespeare put it. Revisiting that story in the dark, it's hard not to believe that Good Friday is as good a summary as we have of the sort of world we live in. It, it rings true. What with the triumph of lies and political intrigues of state and religion, conspiring deadly purposes, and simultaneously realizing how fickle and self-absorbed we are so much of the time, how predisposed to forgetting and denying ourselves, how attracted to indulging and accumulating as though bedecked with as many baubles, bangles, and beads as possible, we have to squeeze in as much laughter and applause as we can before the final curtain falls down, given the sort of world it is. And then, and then this damn virus, this damn virus. Many have been observing that this Holy Week has great congruence with current conditions. We seem to be living in a season of Good Friday. But the phrase, underneath are the everlasting arms, came to mind in the dark. The women and apostles didn't hear that refrain until Sunday morning. And at first, it seemed no small amount of gibberish. You know, in our reading this morning, Mary had no idea what was happening. Neither did the other disciples. Luke reports that several women had gone to the tomb early on that Sunday morning with spices. And then when they found the tomb empty, they rushed to tell the disciples. But the disciples said it seemed to them like nonsense. The women were speaking nonsense. Frankly, I can't imagine it any other way. The actual Greek word reserved for this ranting of a person in delirium. Jesus is raised, you say. You're nuts. You're delirious. And by the way, that's the disciples talking on that first morning. But it also makes me wonder if Jesus said other things that sounded like nonsense as well. Things like, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Or how he described the sort of Messiah he was. How his was a downward call to service and humility. Do you remember how his friends responded to that by arguing who among them would be the greatest in his coming kingdom? Jesus said, like, said things like, you must lose your life in order to find it and take up your cross and follow me. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love and pray for those who persecute you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Did this all like, sound like nonsense at the time he said it? This ran so counter to the prevailing ethos. God meant to have God's way in the world, not by coercive force, but through love and freedom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as in heaven Jesus taught his friends to pray. The heavenly kingdom here, 
Now, that was his proclamation, not only at some future date like pie in the sky by and by. And was all this nonsense crucified on the cross as well? Underneath are the everlasting arms. That ancient wisdom broke through in a brand spanking new way on Easter Day. And you know, it's no wonder it seemed like nonsense at first. It still does, doesn't it? When the poor, the meek, the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the peacemakers, when they assert their place and position in the scheme of life, when they advance the cause of God's kingdom come on earth as in heaven, don't they strike against the prevailing ethos of the day? Resurrection can't be proven, of course, but it can be experienced. I passionately believe in resurrection, not as an act of mental agility, but as a result of knowing the presence of the risen Christ. Initially born in nonsense, a deep intuition about the everlasting arms confirms that the hands on those arms have nail prints in them. We know the disciples ultimately encountered what they thought was the risen Christ. There can be absolutely no doubt about that. Say what you will about the nonsense of the resurrection stories in the Gospels. Sometime after Good Friday, the disciples were ten times the people they were before resurrection. That's history. That's simple history. Their Good Friday erupted into something else entirely, something utterly unexpected. Their explanation was resurrection, and the nonsense stories got told and recorded and passed on for centuries and millennia to us today. Oh my. We hear the story of the everlasting arms. And the, res the result wasn't sentimental bunnies and eggs, friends. That's not what we need to hear about today, is it? On this Good Friday in 2020, this Good Friday world in 2020, we inheritors of the story have tamed the message as it's been absorbed and mutated by the wider culture, making it much smaller and conformist. But when you look at it, really stripped down and full on, as we might be able to today, sequestered in our isolation pods, we have an opportunity today, sequestered in our isolation pods, to see the incredible grandeur of the height and length and breadth and depth of our existence, born and resolved in mystery. And you discover that the gift of resurrected life comes accompanied by a great responsibility. Once the nonsense gives way to the glory, gives way to the possibility of life committed to love of God and neighbor, an awesome call emerges in that. It's the choice to live congruently with the way Jesus taught and modeled, to learn his wisdom and follow along his path. You know, friends, nonsense or not, 
Each and every one of us chooses how we shall make our way in the world. And friends, the beautiful thing is that Jesus' path ultimately takes us all the way home. We can't know all the contours of the journey ahead. We hardly know the contours of tomorrow. But we can say who is there at the end of it. Death is but the far horizon of another distant shore, the poet might say. And that might sound like nonsense to some, I suppose. But I tell you, those who sense the everlasting arms underneath will share St. Paul's deep confidence that nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from God's great love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, good friends, he's got the whole world in his hands for certain. <laughs>